physical training, self-defense training, firearms training, situational awareness, and the warrior mindset. Welcome to the Condition One Podcast. This is a podcast. This world podcast. Welcome to the Condition One Podcast. This is a podcast where we'll be talking about being ready. We'll also be speaking to victim survivors of physical encounters, how they dealt with the aftermath physically, mentally, and spiritually. Welcome to the Condition One Podcast with me, your host, John Riddle. I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Crestwood Technology Group, CTG supplies the defense and aviation industries with critical parts and materials designed to keep fleets and systems operational, ready, and safe. Check out the Crestwood Technology Group at ctgnow.com. Okay, welcome to the Condition One Podcast with me, your host, John Riddle. Today, we have our guest, Lieutenant Mark Grellis. He's from the Rabin County Sheriff's Office in Georgia. He has 30-plus years of law enforcement, currently the lead training officer at that agency. Uh, Mark started training in the martial arts when he was 15 years old, and he owns three black belts in Chinese Kung Fu, American Karate, Kali, and Arnis. Um, he's trained in other systems that are out there and believes that they all have uh, a value and a worth. Um, he's a certified personal trainer uh, where he teaches kickboxing twice a week. He's a martial artist and teaches uh, instruction in private lessons only at this point. Uh, he's a firearms instructor and a SWAT instructor also for his agency and uh, trains people around the uh, state also. He has uh, a lot of opportunities to train with different people, different training organizations. He's a SWAT instructor, certified sniper instructor that he received his certification through Blackwater and he will be 60 years old in May of 2022. Uh, welcome aboard, Mark. I appreciate you coming. Hey, good to be here, brother. And that 60-year-old thing, I know I don't look it. Yeah, I'm six, <laughs> I'm 61, man. I got you by a year. Uh, too, yeah, too much sun, man. We start looking like old ball club yeah, after I, a while. I hear you. But it's good to be with you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad you came on board. Uh, you and I have been uh, – kind of back and forth uh, watching each other and commenting on each other on uh, social media. And uh, yep. you're doing some good stuff up there, man. You're doing some good stuff up there in Georgia, uh, you know, training not only the uh, law enforcement officers, uh, first line of defense for us civilians, but uh, also the civilian population, right? Uh, especially in today's world, uh, as crazy as it's getting, uh, people need to learn how to defend themselves. Not only, yes, uh, not only physically uh, in a martial art or combative uh, arena, but also um, if they wish um, to be able to get some good education and safe education in firearms training. You agree with that? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah I do. I, I've, uh, I believe that, uh, you know, a martial artist to this day, you know, the conception of a lot of martial arts, uh, a lot of systems, they teach a lot of exotic weapons and so forth. But in that day, that was considered the modern weaponry of that era. And so a, a fully evolved martial artist was, uh, he was familiar with all weapons, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the weapon of that day. 
just as today, firearms being a big part of it. Uh, I believe a martial artist fully uh, uh, matured in that system. I think firearms is a part of it. I really truly do. Yes, I, I believe. And and years ago, uh, I took a class. Uh, I think it was Ileffy uh, when I was on the job, and there was a, a gentleman who had come in, and I think he was he was from Alaska, if I remember correctly. I can't think of his name, but he talked about he was he was a very well known firearms instructor, and fi- and I remember him saying, firearms training is a martial art. Yes. You can look at it as a martial art. It's not in the traditional base, right, right. That, that we're used to, uh, but it is a martial art, and it should be dealt with that way, you know, for when you train it, uh, that you need to know what to do, when to do it, right? So I thought, yes. I thought that was that really hit something with me back then, you know, right. and that's when I started looking into firearms even deeper than that I was in at that time. Uh, so let me ask you, Mark, um, on a normal day, what what does your your day consist of, and what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? <laughs> well, brother, first thing I do when I open my eyes in the morning, I'm uh, I'm I'm uh, kind of surprised I'm still here uh, after all the things that I've been through. I've I've you. had a kind of a colorful past as far as my training goes, and just as far as my job, I've not always been a trainer, but throughout the course of law enforcement, you know, and you know this as well as I do. Uh, we've had occasion we've been we've been shot at, cut, and drugged by cars and everything else. And uh, I've had uh, I've had two surgeries on my right leg and my hip. Uh, I've had my left hip replaced. I've had my left shoulder rebuilt. I've had low back surgery. Uh, all of it a result of the job, you know, doing the job, you know, getting in some tough spots and so forth. And so I wake up in the mornings and I have to kind of uh, uh, kind of act my acclimate myself to moving again, but. But I get up and uh, uh, pretty much when I go into work, uh, I have a I kind of have a ritual what I go through every morning right. as far as with my weapons, as far as I always make sure everything's topped off, press check. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have my own, I guess, as everybody does, they kind of have a ritual they go through. Uh, but my day consists of, you know, as far as training, uh, it's just whatever I have on my calendar, whether it be, you know, defensive tactics, which is the unarmed uh, side of the house. And then as far as the firearms, we have other agencies that'll come in. Uh, we have other, uh, you know, SWAT teams from other areas that'll come in and I'll do some training for them. We have a shoot house on our range. And, uh, so, uh, we'll put them through some stuff there, whether it be just, just room clearing exercises, hostage rescue, barricaded gunmen, stuff like that, which is where my passion is. Uh, I love, uh, the tactical side of it. I, I just, I just, uh, it's just something that, uh, that even at my age and as long as I've been doing it, it still excites me and gets me out of bed every day, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, and I always, every day, usually I do something for myself physically, uh, to stay in shape. Uh, I believe I'm a firm believer in physical fitness, uh, to participate in being law enforcement and the job and what it requires of us. The analogy being, uh, you can know everything about football, and you can uh, be the most uh, uh, adapted football student there is out there, and you can put on the equipment, you can get out there on the ball field, but if you've not prepared the body physically to participate in that sport, you're not going to last very long, and it's going to be ugly. Yeah. So uh, I'm a big believer in that. So I spend a lot of time in the gym, uh, just trying to keep myself as active and as 
and as in shape as possible uh, because of my job. I believe as a trainer that uh, that I am the, the tip of the spear, that I, I believe in teaching by example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not one of these teachers that say do this and do that, but I believe you should show to, when you teach to demonstrate it just by virtue of the fact that you demonstrate it. Uh, you're, you're showing the, the student that they also can do it. If that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, not putting unrealistic uh, expectations on them, but if they see an old timey dude like me out there do it, then that's in and of itself instills confidence that they can do it. There you go. You know, it's uh, leading by example, right? You're yes, a leader, yes, you're sir. a leader, uh, as a, as a trainer, you know, whether it be in the, in the law enforcement military or the civilian world, you're a leader yes, and you know, people watch you. They want to, you know, the good students, the better students are going to emulate you as what you do. So you need to be up on your game, right? And you need to be, yes, uh, sir. and you need to be down there yeah. on the mat. You need to be standing up and you need to be on the, on point when you're on the range. So you said, yeah, you, and I, and I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I just think that, you know, with the training that's tall today, and I've noticed that you are, you, uh, with what I've seen that you've, that you put out there and what I appreciate is, is, you try to stay ahead of the curve as far as what's going on in the real world. Yes. A lot of what we have done, and you've heard these terms used like, you know, uh, firing range theatrics and so forth. But, yeah. but I really believe that, you know, being a, being a student of violence to an extent where you understand what's going on in the real world and you kind of mold your training to that, uh, example, I know a lot of times ladies will take classes, self-defense classes, some kind of a, say it's just some kind of an anti-rape class or something and and uh they'll go in there and there'll be some instructor that'll teach them and they'll stand in front of the mirror their entire class throwing jabs crosses front kicks Mm -hmm. and they really make them feel good about themselves right and uh but all they're doing is throwing punches and kicks and so forth and it does instill confidence in them which is a good thing Mm -hmm. however in the real world and you know this uh over 80 percent of all your attacks occur from behind yeah. And usually about three to five seconds, you're going to be on the floor. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to sustain some type of hard trauma to gain compliance. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's going to go, brother. And you know sure. that as well mm-hmm. as I do. And the training should, uh, the training should be realistic and it should based on what, based on what really happens in the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than some, uh, I think a lot of times people that's never really been there and really done that have not, have not made that connection. Uh, and, and I'm a firm believer, even with our officers, when I do the firearms training, I try to keep it as real as possible. And I try to see what's going on. And I try to watch some things as far as uh, uh, encounters that officers are having on the street or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and, uh, and try to glean from that uh, the, uh, the lessons that we can learn and try to kind of uh, mold my training toward that. Excellent. Excellent. And one of my questions here, I'm going to jump ahead on it is, and it's something I like to ask. I like to ask a lot of uh, trainers and you, you, again, you're doing law enforcement and civilian. Okay. Uh, How, how do you take the mindset, your mindset and transition that to your law enforcement officer and then draw the line down the center and how do you get the mindset going of the civilians, right? Mm. Especially, I know you do uh, women firearms classes, right? And right. and you do self defense classes for them also. So, how do you get in their brain? How do you get up there to be able to say, "Look, this is real. This mm. is the potential of what can happen to you this afternoon when you leave me, or tonight when you leave me." So. 
how do you get up here to get them motivated and to be able to, to, to take that class that you're giving them, your, you know, that valuable information you're giving them, and have it sit in here for them and have them understand that, hey, man, this is real stuff that can happen? Well, to be quite honest with you, John, you know, and you know this as well as I do, some people get it and some people never will. Right. Uh, and uh, some of your better students are students that have been victim of violence. Uh, but as far as getting out of their heads, it's, and it's not what I'm saying, it's shock and awe, but it's, it's giving them the facts and giving them real life stories and telling them, you know, uh, uh, and demonstrating to them just how quick things can happen and how fast things happen in the real world. Uh, a lot of what I try to instill in them is, is, uh, showing them the fact that it can happen to them. I mean, a lot of times people, they tend to not, they, they think that everything happens to everybody else. Right. It's kind of like, if you think about a funeral service in a, in a coffin, mm -hmm. the hardest person to picture in that coffin is ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we have this, this, uh, within ourselves, we have this sense of immortality and, uh, we just can't see ourselves being that victim. And I have people all the time will say to me, well, it's never happened to me. And I've done this a hundred times. And so, well, everybody's ever happened to generally, it's usually the first time it ever happened to them, you know, uh, trying to, trying to bridge that gap. Uh, it's kind of like law enforcement. And I'll be quite honest with you, uh, law enforcement, uh, those of us that truly have served in law enforcement, I believe are people that are born with that streak of give a shit that runs through, you know, there's just something inside of us. That, that draws us to it. I believe it's a calling. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it's an occupation or a job that we just decide we want to do one day, right. but there's something inside of us mm -hmm. and being able to turn on that switch and to be able, as they say, to out monster the monster when that opportunity is there and you do face evil. Uh, with the officers, it's a lot easier. Uh, with the civilians, a lot of times, uh, it's harder to make that connection and it takes time, uh, but it's through training and through just, and just uh, give them some real life scenarios. And, and uh, I, I quote a lot uh, and, and I encourage them to read a lot. Uh, it's, I, I'll give an example. Uh, with training, sometimes I've done classes before with edge weapon defense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a knife is the most dangerous when it's moving. Sure. That's, that's what makes that knife uh, a danger. But so I'll have them do the thing. You've seen the drill. We take the big red marker Right. And you have one guy trying to mark the other one, the mm -hmm. other guy just trying to lock that blade down, contain it and stop the motion and, you know, and try to rattle the brain or do what you got to do to do the disarm. Sure. So I'll do that kind of a drill with them. And then I'll try to take it up a step because, you know, afterwards you look at their arms and their body and they've got red marks on them. And I'll say, okay, well, let's make it just a, a step uh, more realistic. In reality, you're probably going to get cut. And that's just, that's just the truth. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how good you are. When you get somebody moving with a knife and they're really putting their hips and legs into it, it's hard to track and stay with it and contain it and catch mm -hmm. it without being cut. And that's just, that's just reality. So what I'll do is I'll get the defender to hold his hands out for the second round and I'll put some baby oil on his hands and give him a rub it on his forearms yeah. because blood being one of the best lubricants there is, Absolutely. and of course you can't use more <laughs> blood, but we'll use the baby oil. Mm -hmm. And now I'll tell him to try to contain that, that, uh, that marker. Mm -hmm. It becomes a different game altogether. And that in and of itself makes a transition to the brain. Mm -hmm. And I think it's through training and through realistic training that that mindset also is developed and cultivated, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, obviously I'm, I'm, you know, we've both been big in the training, but, but that connection, it's not a word you can say. It's not a, 
it's it's a combination of all the above that really develops and 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 uh, and gets that mindset yeah. into that individual. Yeah, it's it's uh, funny you mentioned the uh, the baby oil. We do the same thing here. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 we do. Uh, and That's good stuff. and I also have a uh, just a, sp- a little spray bottle, right? And I'll uh-huh. I'll put it on stream. Mm-hmm. They'll be going at it, and they'll have the baby oil on, and I'll just walk by them as they're doing it, and I'll spray them across <laughs> the face, right? Just to, as a distraction, right? But yeah, exactly. Yes. I've I've been in confrontations with guys uh, out on the street where they're bleeding heavily, and yes, it's the it's like motor oil, you know, and then. Yeah. So I try to, I do the same thing you do. I try to explain to them, bring it to their head, you know, get it in your head that this is what it's going to feel like. It's not going to be, you know, that you're going to be able well, to grip very well, you know. And that's and that's the, and that's the truth. And it's once you show them that I've had officers do that. I've even done that before as far as uh, weapon manipulation skills. You know, with a safe weapon, mm-hmm. I've had them do it with loading magazines just to mimic that because that's what it's going to be. And once you've experienced it then I think that you may not have total ownership of that uh, skill set, right. but you're familiar enough with it where you have done it, that in and of itself can give you whatever you need in that moment to be able to push through and drive past the emotional noise, the pain, whatever it might be, to be able to complete that task and to finish that uh, uh, that evolution or that, or that, mm-hmm. uh, that encounter, whatever it might be. So making it realistic, I believe, is one of the, the key components mm-hmm. to it all. And, and trying to convince them about the, uh, the mindset. And I'll tell the students a lot of times, you know, if you go out in the woods and I live up here in the mountains in North Georgia, and I'll tell them if we go out in the woods and we catch a 35 pound little bobcat, that little bobcat, 35 pounds, mm-hmm. and we put it in a little closet and we get the biggest dude we can find. And we throw them in that closet with that bobcat, <laughs> lock them in there. Mm-hmm. And we'll leave them in there about, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. Let's go back and open the door and let's put our money down on who's going to walk gonna back walk out. out. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But yeah. here's the thing. That man is probably six, seven, eight times heavier than that bobcat. Mm-hmm. He's smarter than that bobcat. He's educated. He knows how to read. He knows how to ride. He knows how to drive a car mm-hmm. and all these things. Mm-hmm. So what separates that man from that bobcat mm-hmm. is mentality. Yeah. Of that bobcat. Yep. That's what that mindset of that bobcat is what separates mm-hmm. them. And that's what I tell women that size and I always, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Well, the truth is, the bigger they are, the harder they hit. You know that as well as I do. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I tell them that mindset is everything. Mm-hmm. There you go. Perfect. Yeah, and it's, you know, some people get it. Like you said, some people get it. Some people don't, you know. And right. I think I think uh, that was a great analogy. Uh, I might steal that from you because that, that was yeah, a great go analogy, ahead. you know, that uh, – uh, you know, it's not the size. Of, what is it? It's not the size of the dog. It's the dog in the fight. It's the dog in the fight. It's not the, no, it's not fight. the uh, the dog in the fight. It's the fight in the dog. That's, That's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So you started training martial arts at 15? Yes, sir. Which one? Uh, so I actually, I started with a system called Hapkido, okay. uh, a Korean system. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved it. And uh, I met my my teacher, my Shifu, who was the, uh, I started learning the Kung Fu from. And I grew up kind of hard in a bad, I had a bad family that I came up in. It wasn't the best in the world. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I had quit school and uh, was going down a bad road, man, just running with bad people and at an early age. And uh, uh, my instructor, my Shifu, he, he was a very educated guy. And I guess he, he, he just, 
he saw something in me or something. I don't know what it was, but uh, he knew that I wanted it so bad. I would do anything to learn. I had a hunger for it. And he would, he would teach me, but before he would teach me or test me or promote me to my next level, he'd give me like a few pages of fractions or my multiplication table I had to memorize. He'd give me a book to read and I'd have to, I'd have to learn this stuff and I'd have to uh, turn around and, 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 and pass a test with him. And then he would promote me. He would give me my promotion test. And before I took my black belt test, he told me, he says, you bring me a high school diploma and I'll set your black belt test. Well, obviously I went and I got that. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was more than a martial arts instructor, but he was, a. he taught me, he taught me a lot of lessons. He, he made me learn to appreciate things, you know, like, uh, he was always constantly giving me books to read Carl von Clausewitz on war or uh, Sun Tzu, the art of war or uh, Miyamoto Masashi, a book of five rings. He was always giving me these books to read and I'd have to write about things I'd read. And he had this red marker <laughs> and he'd mark them. Mm-hmm. And if I had my grammar was wrong, I'd have to do it again and turn it back in. It was aggravating for me because I was a young guy. Sure. And, uh, but that's how, you know, that's, this guy was like, it was something like a movie, man, the way this guy had done me. It was just, and uh, we lost him a couple of years ago. He passed and mm. and uh, he was like a father to me, one that I never had. And uh, so the Chinese Kung Fu is is my first love, a system called Shoshu. Okay. And uh, it's more of a Northern system. So it has a lot of, a lot of uh, big motions in it. And, mm. uh, and I've always loved it. I've just fallen in love with the, the movements and uh, and then later on, I began training with American karate. And, and uh, of course, I've done other stuff over the years as far sure. as, you know, Muay Thai and just different stuff. And, and of course, the grappling, the, the jiu-jitsu system. And, uh, and then I, I got, uh, when I was introduced with the Filipino martial arts, it really opened my eyes to a lot of reality as far as with an edged weapon. Yeah. Uh, just the concept behind using that blade in that, uh, you know, for instance, they, they teach a... a principle called defanging the snake. And I'm sure you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. If you have two people with, with knives and usually they're trying to cut back and forth at each other, Mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're intercepting his attack, which pretty much right off the bat gives you like an 80% advantage of reach and speed. Mm -hmm. And in essence, you're defanging the snake Mm -hmm. and destroying his delivery system. Uh, A lot of uh, the Filipino martial arts is something that really took hold on me in that, uh, the reality, the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, you know, I've, uh, I've had the privilege of being able to train with a lot of other people. Uh, and I've gleaned from all of those. Uh, and I've, I've absorbed a lot of those things and I, I teach them with what I do. Now I'll be honest with you. I've milked a lot of cows, but I churn my own milk. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I get it. I make things work. Yeah. I get it. A hundred percent. Uh, the Filipino martial arts, who did you study with? Uh, I started with a guy, Dennis Cormier. He, uh, it's a system called, uh, Pekiti Tertia. I don't know if you're okay. familiar with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more of a closer in type right. of a thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which the, uh, uh, the Chinese Kung Fu that I learned, it was more of a close in system, not, not so much like Wen Chun, but it was a closer system. And I, I just kind of liked that because, uh, that was something that, uh, uh, I was always a good kicker and, uh, now that I've gotten older, <laughs> I can appreciate hands more, but, uh, but 
it was it was a it was a weakness that I saw in myself was that close in close okay type encounter. So it was something that that I attacked pretty early in my life, and I wanted to overcome that fear. And so anything that had anything to do with that that close contact, I was I was into. So, uh, and that's what I like about Kitty Tersha. It's a it's a very uh, there's there's no end to uh, to the system as far as what you can do with it. And like I say, I've I've incorporated other uh, uh, Filipino martial arts uh, systems. Their some of their training methods and so forth into what I teach. Okay. Uh, it's just kind of a conglomeration of different things. But but I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm into realism, man. I want to find out what's what works. Uh, I don't believe there's any style out there that's better than the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just believe that, uh, you know, you find what your attributes are and there's going to be things that's going to, that's going to appeal to you more than others. Uh, but by the same token, we should always try to, you know, uh, work on our weaknesses. Exactly. As well, you know, exactly. So you're more of a hybrid, would, would, it, would you say? Would you, you know, I, I, you know what, that's a, that's a, I've never heard it like that before, but you're exactly right. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got my, I've got certification in systems, but what I teach is a hybrid. It's, it's what works. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, all um, I care about. Yeah. Day. And that's at the end of the day, uh, if it's working and it's working for you, it's working for your students. That's what matters. Yes, sir. Cause I'm basically the same way. I'm yeah. basically the same way. I'm, I'm more of a hybrid, uh, instructor. You know, I take from jujitsu. I take from Krav Maga. I take from police defensive tactics. Yes. Uh, you know, Jeet Kune Do. Uh, mm-hmm. So I take, you know, boxing. So I take from those areas, you know, and, and I try to put together what's going to work the best, right? Well, so. you know, talking about firearms, uh, even with a lot of things that we do with the knives, mm-hmm. uh, I've incorporated with firearms training. Sure. There uh, you go. Just, yeah, using using a, a firearm. When that firearm, when that weapon system goes down on me, I can still use it oh, yeah. as a tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, so everything, everything is is uh, as Solomon said. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, everything, everything uh, kind of blends and, fl- and and flows with one another. I think if you have that, if you have a good understanding of it. But uh, what I can do with my empty hands, I can do with a pencil. I can do with a knife. I can use a firearm. Yeah. And and that's that's the kind. Of, that's what I want to get across to a student. You know, I think a lot of times today that everything is so commercialized and and it's all about the buck mm-hmm. and they're, you know, trying to, <laughs> I saw a thing the other day, a, a little caption about doctors and it said, no offense to doctors, but it says we can't, we can't make them better because if we make them better, they won't come back. And so I think a lot of times martial arts, it's all about this, you know, trying to keep you coming and keep you paying. Yeah. And my passion is to take somebody and to give them something that that they can they can use, uh, that's uh, something that's real, and, and something that they don't have to go for ten years to try to sure. to uh, to get it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is is uh, you know I'm more concerned with 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 getting information across and changing a person and giving something of value 
because you know as well as I do, if we done this for the money, well, we made some wrong choices. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I say that a lot. You know, if I was wanting yes. to be a billionaire, I wouldn't be teaching martial arts or you know any right, type of survival exactly. things, right? I'd be looking for a different job. So, with this system that you have and the way you teach, do you have the ability to teach that? Uh, in your law enforcement career, or do you have to stay to the Georgia's uh, uh, yes, system? Yes, we, we have to. Yes, we have to. I've kind of, and you know how it is with law enforcement, with the chokeholds and so forth. Mm-hmm. Things have been misapplied in the past that now has become taboo and we can't use, which are beneficial weapons. When you have somebody that's that's totally out of their mind, mm-hmm. and pain is something that they they can't can't feel it. And you know, this as well as I do, you've encountered these individuals, you know, you can't, you can't use pain compliance techniques, whether it be pressure points, arm bars or whatever to get them uh, to a point where you can affect the arrest. And, and the more and more that I see, we are starting to eliminate the tools that officers have available to them. Uh, We're kind of tying our hands behind our backs. Some of these people that, that uh, write some of these these laws, I'd like to see them out there oh, yeah. and uh, and try to do what we do mm-hmm. one time. But uh, what I can teach and what I can apply, I do teach our, our people. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the grappling thing, we started doing the grappling thing back in uh, the late 90s uh, with the regional academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I would help teach the defensive tactics down there, we began teaching them some fundamentals as far as groundwork back then. And, uh, uh, and I still do that. And of course, as you know, it's really taken off in law enforcement sure. to where the, the ground fighting, they see the value and the worth in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, for the most part, uh, you do what you do to kind of help that officer to try to give him as much as you can, mm-hmm. but there are guidelines. There are things we can and cannot do until it turns into a deadly force situation. Mm-hmm. And then it's whatever, you know, the, that weapon of opportunity. Sure. Because now, you know, the things have completely changed and it's not trying to affect an arrest anymore. Now it's turned into officer survival mm-hmm. and basically getting that officer to the point where he, he recognizes and knows when it turns to a point where I'm no longer trying to arrest this guy, but I'm trying to I'm trying to save my own life here. Right. It becomes not only because I'm a law enforcement officer, but it also is because, you know, I'm Mark and I want to go home tonight. Right. So yes. you got a twofold thing there that you're fighting. Right. Yes. And then when it, yeah, and when it does hit the fan, uh, then everything has to change a bit, you know? Yes. So, um, you're a firearms instructor and a SWAT instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, when you're teaching civilians, okay, because I see some of this out there, and especially with firearms, and, and I do some of it uh, from my years on the team, uh, how much movement, uh, weapon uh, manipulation do you take from your SWAT background that you would show to your civilians? You know, actually, <clears throat> I do use a good bit of the fundamentals. I, I teach, uh, like, uh, the, the civilian classes I do, I do a, a three, it's three levels. I'll do a level one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Level one is basically just going over nomenclature, that type of thing, mm-hmm. get them over the hump. Some people's never even had a gun go off in their hand before. Right. So you kind of get them to that point where they actually stand, sideline, grip, so forth, and to shoot the gun. The second level, I begin to kind of introduce them into moving, just getting off the X. Yes. And I start teaching them some of the things 
you know, for instance, uh, most of your gunfights are three seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, the average shooter will lose 70% of his accuracy if he's shooting a moving park target as opposed to a stationary target. So I teach him the benefit of just movement, right. but also uh, uh, teach him that, you know, you're not the only one moving, but your opponent also was moving. And so being able to track somebody with that muzzle becomes a task within itself. So you need to mm -hmm. step it up to the point where not only you begin to move, but also you begin to learn to move or shoot a moving target. So that second level, I kind of introduce them to a little bit of movement, forward, backwards, and lateral movement. And I start going over things as far as the difference between target accuracy versus combat accuracy and so mm -hmm. forth and so on. The third class, when I do that with them, I start teaching them, I start working them, uh, let them shoot from barricade and teach them the principles of moving from barricade from one to the next and how to set up on the barricade. I let, and like with my ladies' classes, <laughs> I let them, I got a little thing set up and I let them shoot through a car windshield. Okay. Uh, just to have that experience. Sure. And I give them all these different types of, uh, of stimulus so that whatever situation they're in, there's something that they can reference it to to give them direction to steer into. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That makes sense, sure. Yeah. Uh, and I also let them go through the shoot house. I'll put some real easy identifiable targets up. Mm -hmm. We'll run them through one at a time. And of course, I'll uh, put a, uh, put uh, put some uh, Kevlar on them, and mm -hmm. and I'll let them go through the house. I teach them how to pie corners, you know, the, mm -hmm. uh, uh, how to do that, and how to just properly be able to go into a room and be able to uh, to clear the corners, assess the threat, because they don't shoot all of them. So we have. Uh, what we teach is a standard defensive response, which is just, you know, uh, what we call uh, controlled pairs. Uh, mm -hmm. thing. And uh, they love that. They're really usually scared before they go in. They don't know what to expect. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the ladies, they'll come out the back door with this big grin on their face. Yeah. They'll say, can I do it again? Sure. But they love that. And uh, I teach a lot of stuff. I teach as far as that uh, the body alarm response and how tunnel vision, auditory exclusion, mm -hmm. the heart rate going up, we're going to lose our complex motor skills and our fine motor skills. Mm -hmm. And how we're basically reduced down to nothing but just gross motor skill. And we're just basically, as they say, that caveman mode. And uh, and I talk about the uh, being able to have a conditioned response to things as far as once you engage that threat, I always teach the ID the port and to do that search and assess. Now, you hear arguments both way about searching and assessing. Once, once you finish that evolution, you track them, you know, that, that, uh, that, uh, that, the, that they're down, they're done. Mm -hmm. The next thing I want to do is just a quick ID to my port. And I want to, I want to scan inboard, outboard, and I want to check my six. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing by doing that is I'm breaking that body alarm response. If that makes sense. It does. And, yeah. uh, uh, and of course I teach them that I believe it's an important, uh, skill set to have. Absolutely. That they learn to look. I think it's around what is it? Uh, somewhere around sixty-eight percent or something like that of most of your encounters are going to be against more than one bad guy. So you need to be looking for that secondary threat. Absolutely, uh, and I get on your box, man. Preach it because I, I do the same thing. I do exactly yes, what you're talking about. You know, <laughs> and it's it's you know looking, scanning uh, for more bad guys, for more additional threats, and also trying to get that tunnel vision, right? Trying to clear right. that tunnel vision out of your eyes, right? Moving the head. Uh, I know years ago, and I would tell these people, you know, years ago, AAA, the American Automobile Association, mm -hmm. they had a thing out where, uh, and I remember hearing about this when I was a kid, 
right? So this is how long ago this stuff was out, right? And it's when you're driving long distances across the country and, it's, and you're tired and you're starting to nod off behind the wheel, look in your rearview mirror. Look in your passenger side side mirror. Look back at your driver's side side mirror and that triangulation, right? What are you doing? You're looking. You're scanning, right? Yes. And it's, it's keeping you aware of what's around you, but it's also it's waking you up. It's clearing your vision, right. right? And it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing, looking, scanning, looking for additional exactly. threats, right? But getting that tunnel, trying to get that tunnel vision out of your eyes after all that excitement, right? Yeah, because it's so it's so easy to get sucked in, and 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 you've seen you've seen uh, videos of officers, and they'll get so drawn in. And I can give you all kind of examples of people I've spoken to over the years that have uh, that that's been even a fist fight. Yeah. And and, and you know and, and all and they get hit from the side, and never see it coming. And we the thing I teach is called through multiple opponents. And mm-hmm. any given combat situation, I always assume there's more than one opponent. And I always teach through multiple weapons. In any given combat, I always assume your opponent is armed and armed with more than one weapon. Yeah. So if I disarm somebody, that doesn't mean he's unarmed. Right. I'm always going to assume he is still armed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there again with the uh, three or multiple opponents, uh, I'm going to be looking for that that secondary threat. There you go. Always. Yeah, that's perfect. Do you feel any difference when you're teaching civilians versus SWAT personnel? Uh, a, a difference? Yeah. You, as far as the uh, the people, yeah, and the feedback you get and the mindset. Oh heavens, yes, uh, <laughs> brother, you've been in, you've been mm-hmm. in that. You know what I'm talking about. You know, mm-hmm. you get a bunch of operators. It's it's a different it's a different world altogether. Uh, these are guys that uh, uh, you know. You think about uh, Hemingway. You know, when he talks about uh, uh, there's no hunting like the hunting of men and those have hunted armed men long enough and liked it, seldom care for anything else thereafter. Okay. And, and that's, that's, you know, you get SWAT guys around and, and the mentality is totally, totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just, I love them all. Those are my kind of guys, man. Just yeah. a bunch of just knuckle draggers, yeah. uh, <laughs> guys that, uh, they're, they're constantly looking for work. They have that mentality. And as, as you've heard people say, they're always constantly looking for that righteous battle, man. Yeah. Uh, versus the civilian side of the house, uh, there's, 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 it's day and night. It really is. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, with, with, with a good operator, uh, you don't have to tell him the importance of what he's doing. He knows if he's, if he's got a few missions under his belt and he's running, he's been in harm's way. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been there and done that, and you know as well as I do. Once you once you've snuck that peek at the devil, mm-hmm. and when you looked around the corner, he was looking back at you and gave you a big wink. You never forget that moment in life. Exactly. You know when yeah. you come face to face with true pure evil, mm-hmm. uh, it it alters your perception of everything. Absolutely. And and law enforcement is something that, uh, if you think about it, we're always on duty. You know, and I love our military guys. They go on deployment, they come back home. But brother, we're always on deployment. Mm-hmm. You know, twenty four seven. Yeah. And if we don't keep our head and ass wired together in this environment we live in today, uh, and you hear about it all the time, officers being ambushed and so forth. Mm-hmm. And and the reality is there. But uh, with a lot of your civilian people, it's it's trying to convince them that reality is there. But they're not exposed to it like we are. 
-hmm. you know, all day long we're, we're running calls and, and you're dealing with, you know, sometimes the worst of, of, uh, of your community, or your, your county or whatever. And, and you're constantly seeing it. Yes. So it, it's, it's, you can't forget about it. It's there. Mm -hmm. And you know, as well as I do for us that are trainers, when we've lived it and now we have that, that, uh, place in our lives where we're teaching it, it is so ingrained in us. Uh, you know, I went on vacation last week. Uh, <laughs> I went to, uh, went, was down to your neck. It was just about, I was at Panama mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I was going to the beach down there with my swim trunks on and I've still, I've, I've got my fanny pack and my weapon on me. I, mean, I can't, I, I, it's going to go where I go. Yep. And that's because, well, you know, it's, yeah. you know, I don't go anywhere without it. Yeah. And I went down there with a, uh, my girlfriend, a beautiful woman I love with all my heart, Amy. And, uh, you know, and she, she, she accepts me as I am. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, but that's, that's just who I am. I, and as far as a fanny pack, thing, I've caught a lot of flack over that brother, but I, I'm not, you know, but hey. I wear it when I'm in the gym, but, uh, I don't go anywhere without it. Yeah. I always have my weapon with me. I'd rather keep, catch the flack from them about the fanny yeah, pack yeah. issue. Right. And, but at least you have, oh, yeah. at least you have hey, it I'm on you. Everybody, I'm bringing them back though. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've been kicking around. I've been kicking around buying one myself. You know, it's just yeah. down here uh, and it, being here at the gym constantly uh, wearing board shorts, you know, or grappling shorts. And it's just tough to conceal, Yeah, uh, you know, with, with those, you know. So I've been, th I've been kicking it around, seriously kicking it around. So now that I know you do it, maybe, I'll, you know, hey, I'll go out and. Yeah, got it on right now, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but now usually when I carry, I carry out appendage carry and I carry, I've yeah. got a inside the waistband that I do. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of outward carry. Right. Uh, but I do believe I carry, I carry everything in the front of my body. Even my, when I carry my, my duty gear, I always mm -hmm. have my holster more to the front of my body because the front of my hand, in front of me, my, I'm always, I'm pumping gas, paying for something, shaking hands. Mm -hmm. My hands are always in the front. So I like that, that, sure. that quick access, easy access, uh, absolutely. carrying it close and carry it up front but if i'm going to be active like at the gym or something uh that's where the fanny pack comes in yeah and honestly uh i really don't give a rip what people think you know yeah no I, and who cares and you know? I, you know i like to think i can pull it off yeah yeah and who's gonna who's gonna say anything to you anyway you, yeah well you, you're huge man i'm not <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't have anything to say to you well, so, I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. What's uh, you wrote a couple articles? Yeah, tell me about them. Yeah, I'm working on one right now, uh, the Headless Warrior, and it's basically about that very topic of uh, of uh, the mentality and the mindset of an operator or just uh, a law enforcement officer uh, in this day. That uh, of all the things, you know, we we become so gadget and gear oriented. Yeah, that uh, we've actually been duped into thinking it's the gear that we run is what determines our success. Yeah. When at the end of the day, you and I both know that it's mindset. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's that, that preconditioned pre-plotted course of the mind through training, hard work and sweat. Uh, that's what's going to carry us through. We, we have our SWAT school up here that we run every year and, uh, and every year consistently, we have a 50% fail rate. We will lose half of the, the, the students every single year consistently. Mm -hmm. And we don't lose them because we kick them out. We lose them because they quit on us, John. 
mm-hmm. uh, and we go through sleep deprivation. We do everything, mm-hmm. but it's, 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 it's getting them to that place where, where they have to mentally push and challenge themselves because you know, as well as I do, that translates itself over to a real life scenario, whether it be a gun battle or whatever it is that you, you know, if you don't have the mindset and that mental discipline to stay focused, uh, the most overlooked weapon in our whole arsenal is the most proven and tried truths that old battle axe, the brain. Yeah. You know, John Steinbeck, we you don't know, talking about, you know, mm-hmm. the sword and the shield, but mm-hmm. the final weapon being the brain, all else is supplemental. Absolutely. You know, and it's just that uh, I think with that article, I'm trying to touch on how that uh, if we are, if we are only training and going through the motions and we can have the Superman suit, I mean, all that's good. And it's great to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't have the mindset uh, to be able to engage in that kind of a conflict and, and it's, it's something that people watch on television and, but for those of us that's actually been there and seen it and you've rode the ride, it's uh it's it's something that we don't glory in. Uh but it's it's the the realism, the that I don't think people can really grasp a hold of. And and if you don't have the mental faculties to be able to to deal with it and to be able to navigate through it, uh, you've already lost that conflict. I think Shakespeare said uh, all things be ready if the mind be so. Mm-hmm. It all starts here. We're, we are creatures of habit mm-hmm. and physically we follow the blueprint that the mind has already pre-plotted and laid out. And the brain's like a computer. You know, if I don't have anything downloaded or put in that computer, when I push going. print, that printer is going to give me a sheet of blank paper. Sure. And that's usually what happens in reality. Mm-hmm. But if I pre prepare and I go in and download and put information on that computer when I need it, I can print it and retrieve it. Uh, so basically it's, it's preparing a person. It, and that's the whole point of the SWAT school. We make it mentally tough and demanding on these, on these, uh, these young guys and, uh, to develop that mindset. Uh, the other article I wrote was on, uh, the, uh, the low hanging fruit of mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I built up for uh, SWAT digest a few years ago. And, and basically that was, I touched on a lot of things as far as the, uh, participation trophies that we give out today. And this sure. time we no longer reward, uh, those people that, that work hard and, 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 uh, and do shine above the rest because they're willing to put in the effort. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's, it's the, uh, the culture that we live in. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And, uh, and there's a standard that we have to maintain and uh, when it comes to training, when it comes to everything that we do, and we're starting to lower that bar. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but just in society today, it just seems like there's this demasculation of men in our society today yeah. that, that we're so trying to tear apart the fabric of who we are and what we are. And I try to remind officers all the time that we are, we're warriors. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and to maintain that mindset of a warrior, uh, but we, we live in a, like I say, the culture today that does everything it can to dismantle that in us. And, and somebody has got to, uh, uh, pass that torch and to keep that flame alive. Uh, we've always had to have it. George Orwell said, you know, good people sleep peacefully in their beds at night mm-hmm. only because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. Thank God for those rough men. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you know, we live in a world today where culture, you know, and I, and I don't mean to be hard on them, but young people walking around with their cell phones and their, and their uh, Starbucks and, and they're just talking about how unhappy they are. Right. Yeah. You know, and we live in the greatest nation that's ever existed. And this is the only refuge left. We have nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take us to stand and, and to fight for the freedoms and what we have in this great nation that we have today. And, and basically the low hanging fruit of mediocrity, just, I just kind of attacked the fact that, that we have begun to accept the last best out of people rather than pushing people to, uh, to bring out the best in them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a story once about a, a two armies that was fighting and had a standard bearer, the, the guy that held the flag mm-hmm. and they got up there and they was fighting the enemy. And the enemy was so strong, they began to push the soldiers back, and the soldiers fell back into the wood line. And they happened to notice that little standard bearer was still up there holding that standard up high, way up there on the front line, all by himself. And the men began to holler at him and say, hey, bring the standard back to the men. And the little standard bearer, he calls back to the men. He says, no, bring the men back to the standard. There you go. Perfect. I like That's that. That's what we've got to yeah. do today is we've got to bring people back to that standard, brother. Absolutely. A hundred percent on board with you, man. It's, it's rampant down here. Yes, sir. Uh, you know where I am. Um, but yeah, we do. We have to bring that standard back. We really do Amen to bring that. them to the, to the standard. Um, Mark, I appreciate you coming on board with me, man. It was a pleasure hey, talking to I you, loved every minute of it. you know, and, uh, I'm glad we got finally got to speak to each other face to face, you know, and let's keep this going, man. All right. Uh, Hey, I'm going to make my way down there to see you in person one day. I'm going to lay eyes on you, brother. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I'd like to get up there. I love North Georgia. Hey, yeah, come so, on. I got, so, I'll give you a place to stay and everything. It's, uh, it's a beautiful part of the country up there. I love it going up there, especially in the fall, getting out of this heat yes, down sir. here. Uh, I think it's like in the 90s out here today. So, wow. So, yeah, and the humidity is probably just as much, <laughs> you know. So. Yes, sir. But, hey, it was great speaking to you. It was great seeing you. And uh, let's yes, stay sir. in touch, okay? And uh, Yes, sir. And I'd love to have you back on again. Yes, sir. All right. It was an honor. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. All right. All right. Stay safe. You too. Yes, sir. Bye-bye.